0: One's invited to fellowship over in the uh, fireside room and in the gym and it's a a missions opportunity and so we're really hopeful that everybody will come out to it and then we'll be coming back in here for an observance of the Lord's Supper as well as a time of prayer and therefore I wanted to just also mention to you that we're going to have a little bit of an extended service uh, beyond the normal time. We normally try to finish things up by 11.25, 11.30, but we'll go a little bit longer today. I want to make sure that our speaker has adequate time. And I also want to just introduce our speaker to you. As many of you know, I have been working with a group of young men in the church, mostly young men. There are some that are a little more uh, beyond the young qualification there, but uh, they uh, are all involved in a time of just learning to preach and teach. We call it a pastoral team, although they're not really learning to be pastors per se, but to do one thing that pastors do, which is to preach the Word of God and to perhaps be involved in team ministry here as well as maybe God will call them to become pastors someday and, and uh, beyond this, this borders of this church. And, uh, so anyhow, we have the privilege this morning of hearing someone who's very special to our church family. We normally see him sitting back there in the sound booth sort of coordinating things there along with the others that have been so faithful John Varela is a wonderful young man. He's a great friend, and I count him as a close friend. He's a graduate of New Tribes Mission Bible Institute and uh, in 1998. He grew up in Ventura, California. And as most of us know, he does work in the cell phone industry, so make sure you turn your cell phones off so they don't go off. And otherwise, he's liable to feel like he's at work. And also that... Uh, John has a son, as we all know, named Nate, and a lovely wife, and uh, who is uh, so faithful to be up here playing the flute and others, Katie Varela. And so we just have a great family there, and it's a joy to, to be a part of their family and for them to be a part of our family here in the broader sense of our church congregation. So we're going to hear from one of our own today, and yet he has a missions heart. He went to a missions school, and he's got something to challenge us with as, as one of us, And so I welcome John Varela to the pulpit this morning. John.
1: Well, thank you. I appreciate that introduction. If you have Verizon cell phones, you can keep those on. That's the company that we sell phones for now, so that would be okay with me. But, uh, no, well, good morning. It's great to see everybody here this morning, and what a privilege it is to be able to uh, uh, have the opportunity to share what I've uh, been able to study in the past couple of weeks in the Word of God. Uh, he's really opened some things up to me, and I hope that He will allow me to share those things that I've learned with you this morning. You know, what a great opportunity it is to see the people uh, that our church supports come and, and give testimony of what's going on in their lives. You know, uh, things like the missions, min- the prisons ministry, and and the Centers for Apologetics Research and things that really help believers share the gospel with others and ministries that we can get involved in. And uh, that's something that I want to look at here today. But uh, before I do, let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this Mission Sunday. Thank you for the privilege that we have to be a part of the body of Christ. And with those privileges, I I believe, come responsibilities for those of us who want to be disciples. And I just pray that we would uh, learn from your word today, that you would give me wisdom of words as I uh, present what you've laid on my heart. In your name I pray. Amen. Atlanta, December seventh, two 2005. The Coca-Cola Company today announced that it will launch Coca-Cola Black in 2006. Coca-Cola Black is an invigorating and stimulating blend that has a perfect balance of the effervescent taste, sensation of Coca-Cola, and natural flavors with real coffee. The lightly carbonated, mild, mid-calorie beverage, which is designed to appeal to adult consumers, is yet another example of how the Coca-Cola Company reaches out to new audiences and addresses new beverage occasions. Coca-Cola Black is not just a a flavor extension. It is a blend of unique Coke refreshment with the true essence of coffee that has a rich, smooth texture and has a coffee-like froth when poured. We believe we have created a new category of soft drink, an adult product in in a carbonated beverage, a whole new drinking experience. This brand is ideal for any part of the day when people are looking for renewed energy or simply to take a break, says Mark Mathau, Vice President, Global Core Brands, the Coca-Cola company. Wow, that's a pretty interesting press release. A whole new drinking experience, huh? It's invigorating and stimulating. I'm sold. I love Coke. I think those of you who know me well know I love Coca-Cola. It's One of my favorite things. Ever since I can remember, Coke has been a part of my family. My dad's drank Coke as long as I can remember. My mom likes RC, but, you know. But Coca-Cola gets me going. How many of you guys like soft drinks? Yeah, I would imagine most of you do. Uh, Arch enjoys one every hour on the hour. And uh, I've been told that Coke is actually going to release a new drink for you, Arch, Uh, uh, it's called Diet Coke IV, so <laughs> I'll be looking for that here in the, in the near future. But anyway, I love soft drinks. I love Coke, and I've been trying to cut back, but it's tough. It tastes so good. You know, there's not a whole lot better than an ice-cold Coke on a Sunday, warm Sunday afternoon. However, there's just one problem with soft drinks. Imagine for a moment running a marathon or watching one on TV and you can you can see the, the athletes competing they're running toward the finish line they're competing and the race organizers have these drink stands set up every so far to be able to give refreshment to these athletes that are running and imagine one of these athletes running up and grabbing this cup and you know how they're running and they're they're not really balanced and the drink spilling all over the place, and they splash it back on their face, and it's Coke. <laughs> why wouldn't that work? Why don't they serve Coke at, at marathons, or why doesn't Lance Armstrong have Coke in his water bottle when he's racing in the Tour de France? It's because Coke can't quench your thirst. It's good, it's refreshing, but it doesn't quench thirst. It doesn't give us what our body needs in order to continue to operate at a high level. We couldn't live on Coke. As much as I'd like to, I couldn't. You know, Coke, although it is such a fun thing for me, doesn't have any spiritual value or spiritual qualities. It's a physical refreshment. You know, similar things came up in the Word of God where somebody was looking for physical refreshment. And a certain woman in the Gospel of John was looking to meet that physical need. She was unexpectedly met by someone who offered her something to drink that she'd never heard of before. And I want to take a look at that with you today. Turn with me, if you will, to the Gospel of John, chapter 4. And we're going to look at verses 3 to 30. That's John chapter 4, verses 3 to 30. He left Judea, That's being Jesus, and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar or Shukar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat there sat there by the well, and it was about the sixth hour, or 6 p.m. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me? As well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, Go. Call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought worship. Jesus said to her, The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. At this point, his disciples came, and they marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no one said, What do you seek, or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men, Come, see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. So here's this certain woman who is looking to meet a physical need in her life, the most basic need, not the need for a soda, not the need for a adult beverage, the the need for water, something that is the basic need of our life. And she meets this man that she didn't expect to meet. And there's a number of reasons why she didn't expect to meet him. He was a Jew, number one. Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. It says John says so here. You know, the Jews viewed the Samaritans as dogs, basically. They were half-breeds. They didn't know what they believed. They didn't believe in the in the full uh, Old Testament. They just believed in the first five books of the Bible. They were outcasts, and uh, as you can see in the map behind me, if we put the map up here, uh, they would actually go out of their way to go around Samaria. And you can see here that you have Jerusalem down in the south in Judea, and Jesus was traveling up to Galilee, and an Orthodox Jew would take the Red Road there through Jericho, cross the Jordan River, come up and cross back over the Jordan River next to the Sea of Galilee and go into, and go into Galilee. But Jesus took a different route, a pre-planned route. You see, in verse 4 here, he says that he needed to go through Samaria. That's an interesting statement. Why would he need to go through Samaria? It was a spiritual need that he was looking to fill. You see, I think in this passage we see a big contrast between the physical and the spiritual. And Jesus had a spiritual need to fill. He needed to go to Samaria. These are outcasts. These are people the Jews wanted nothing to do with. But he loved them. And he wanted to meet the spiritual need of this woman. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Shukar. It's near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And a woman of Samaria came to draw water. Physical need. She's there to meet a physical need. She wants to draw the water. Jesus says to her, give me a drink. Here's an interesting thing. Jesus needed a physical needed something physically met as well. He was thirsty. So he'd been traveling all day. Uh, this says it was about the sixth hour, which is probably about 6 p.m. according to war- Roman time. You can imagine he's been traveling. He's wearied. The Greek word there for re- wearied means to heavy labor, to, to toil hard. He's tired. And he's got this physical need, and he's requesting of the Samaritan woman to help him meet this physical need. But he's got another purpose. He's got another reason behind this. And we'll see that. So he says to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And if we go to the uh, slide below the map, you can see that uh, verse 8 I highlighted in yellow. That's the physical. Interesting thing here. The disciples take off on Jesus. Right? They're concerned. They get this materialistic mindset. They're concerned with his physical need. And I, I don't know that it was on purpose, but I think it's interesting. They didn't see the... They didn't see the, the need that was there in Samaria. Okay? They weren't, they weren't there to hang out and talk with the people. They were probably, Jesus, what are we doing here? Why are we going through Samaria? There's nothing there for us. But Jesus had a reason. So his disciples take off. They went to meet a physical need. Let me come to verse 9. The woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan woman for a drink why are you talking to me there's three things that three reasons why you shouldn't be talking to me right now sir this, this man number one you don't usually talk to a woman in public number two I'm a Samaritan woman and number three I'm a sinner people don't hang out with me I think Jesus knew this he was already looking into her heart. Well, Jesus immediately goes into the spiritual with his answer. In verse ten he says, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. What an interesting statement. He doesn't he doesn't answer her question as to why he's asking her for a drink or why he's talking to her. He goes right into the spiritual, right in to meet that need. This gift of God, what is this? Where would we find out about the gift of God? Well, I think in Romans 6.23, John tells us what the gift of God is. He says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life to everyone, to, to those who believe on, the Lord, on Jesus Christ our Lord. So the gift of God is eternal life. So if you would have known this eternal life that I have to give you, you would have asked me for it, and I would have given it to you, this living water. Now, Jesus is kind of making a play on words here, which is really interesting. This living water is a frequent term that they would use for a well, a spring well, that was fed with natural water, and which was which Jacob's well was. I think we have a picture of Jacob's well here, um, and we'll get into another part of that as well. But you can see Jacob's well present day. This was a naturally spring-fed uh, Well. So, they would, the ancients would call it living water. It wasn't a, it wasn't a groundwater well with, with stagnant water. Okay? This was water that was good and clean and fresh. So he's kind of a play on words, this living water. And the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with. The well, this hole is deep. Where do you get, where do you get this living water that you're talking about? This is the only place I know of. Are you greater than our father Jacob? He's the one that gave us this well. He drank from it himself, his sons and his livestock, both. In other words, Jacob, he's the guy that I know of. He's hes the the prophet that I've heard of. He was pretty great. Are you greater than him? Do you know another place where I can get this living water? She's still thinking physical here, you see. She doesn't get that Christ is honing in on this spiritual aspect in her life. Well, Jesus' response is really interesting. He talks physical real quick, as you'll see, and then he goes right into the spiritual. He says, hey, this water, if you drink it, you're going to get thirsty again. Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. This is physical water. This can't meet your spiritual need. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. So he's telling her, you're going to get thirsty again if you drink this physical water. But I have this living water here that I'm I'm willing to give you if you ask me for it. And the water that I give you, it's not going to be like this well. This well whose water you have to toil and labor for to bring this water up. This is going to be a fountain. I kind of think of like an artesian well, you know, one where the groundwater is naturally being forced up to the surface. And you can freely drink of this water. You don't have to labor for it you see, but she still doesn't quite get it. You see in verse 15 in her response, it's still physically minded. She's still thinking about the physical. She says, sir, give me this water in verse 15 that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Hey, this is great. I'm interested. Give me some of this. I want to know where it is because man, it's, it's hard work coming down to this. Well, she probably walked about a half a mile, you know, and, they figure this well at any given time was two hundred feet deep. Imagine pulling this water up in this, this water pot up in this well. That's some heavy labor. She's interested in what this this new thing that Christ is telling her about. She wants it, but she's still thinking physically. She's not she's not thinking spiritually yet. So Christ has to go to a different point to get her to think spiritually. He goes to a different aspect in her life. He moves away from the water, and he says, go call your husband. And she responds, as you all know, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, you're right, you don't. Matter of fact, you've had five of them, and you're living with a guy right now, and he's not your husband either. It really zooms right into the the heart of this matter in this woman's life, the sin. And it gets her to think spiritually. Jesus knew exactly what to say to her because he knew her. Finally, she's kind of thinking on the spiritual plane. And so she responds with, Sir, I know I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. And you Jews, you say that Jerusalem is the place where one should worship. Where should I go? And this could be, you know, kind of, uh, response from her to to kind of maybe act like she's talking spiritually with the Lord, or what I think maybe is that she's kind of guilty of what he's just uncovered in her life, and so she goes to what she knows, and that's a place of worship where she can atone for this sin that she's committed. Where do I go? You know, uh, my people tell me here, Mount Gerizim, that's where I should go. You guys say it's Jerusalem. And the response that Jesus gives her is excellent. It's one that really foreshadows what's going to happen in his life in that the way of salvation, although through the Jews, through Jesus, is going to be for all people, including the Samaritan woman. He says, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews through me. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So Jesus responds with, hey, that's not important. These places of worship, that's not the point of what I'm trying to tell you. And as a matter of fact, it's not going to matter at all here real soon. Now it's not going to matter. You see, Christ, Jesus, is seeking for us to just have real, sincere worship. It doesn't matter where it takes place, but that's what he wants from us. And that's what he was conveying to this woman. I just want sincerity. I want you to believe that I can give you this living water. So the woman responds, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. So she knows of something. She's heard. She's heard that somebody's going to be coming eventually, whether through uh, the people that she uh, w- was in community with or uh, whether she did have a little bit of knowledge of a of, uh, coming Messiah. But she tells this man, I, I know somebody's coming. I know you're a prophet. Somebody's coming. He's going to tell us everything. And the response from Jesus is, is one of my favorites. He says, I who speak to you am. The he there in Greek is not there. It's just I am. I who speak to you am. And it reminds me a little bit of the power that Jesus unleashed when he was taken captive uh, at the Garden of Gethsemane, when the people from the Sanhedrin came to get him. And in John 19, they asked him, are you Jesus of Nazareth? And he says, I am. And it knocked everybody over, knocked them all over. I don't know if he unleashed some of that glory that he has when he spoke to this woman, but I, I know that she saw it because of her response. You see, her response is she dropped what she was doing. She dropped this water pot. This physical need that she was, had come to this well to meet didn't matter anymore. This is the pinnacle of the story that the physical and the spiritual. She drank of this living water that Christ had told her about and now this physical didn't matter anymore. How exciting is that? This, this spiritual so far outweighed her physical need that she left what she was doing and she went to find others to tell them about it. What an incredible story. You see, we all have physical needs that we need to meet but what Christ can do through us spiritually far outweighs the physical. It's not as important. You see, people need to hear the gospel of the living water that is free, that bubbles up, that people can partake of without any labor or without toil. What an incredible story. So where where are these people supposed to go for this refreshment? You know, you've seen that up on the top here. Where does the thirsty world go for refreshment? Where does it go? Well, I think the Lord tells us in in the conclusion here in in verses 34 to 36, if you look at those with me here in chapter 4, verses 34 to 36, Jesus says to them, My food, my meat, is to do the will of him who sent me, and to finish his work... Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. So where does the thirsty world go for refreshment? They're supposed to come to us, his disciples. You see, Jesus was talking to his disciples here, and he was saying, Guys, don't you get it? I'm here for another reason. These people that you consider outcasts, I consider the most valuable. They're going to listen to what I have to say. We're supposed to take this message. When Jesus says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me, that brings up another passage here in John chapter 6, And I just wanted to share it with you real quick. What is the will of him? What is that? Can we know? know, A lot of people really, what is the will of God? How do I find the will of God? The Lord tells us right here. He says, the will of him who sent me, in, in John 6, verse 40. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life. God the Father's will is that every man believe in him. That's his desire. And Jesus tells his disciples, which I hope all of us in here want to be his disciples, that it's our responsibility to take this message, to refresh the world with this message that a lot of them have never heard of. The world has a spiritual need today. This need needs to be met And the interesting thing, though, is that so many people have more access to something like Coca-Cola, which targets people's physical wants, not even their need, just a want, than they do this living water that is flowing through us as believers and is free to anybody who partakes of it. Could you imagine that the world's desire for... Something like Coke, this physical refreshment, is greater than its desire for eternal and spiritual refreshment. It seems kind of funny, doesn't it? No, of course not. Men desire, and the God has placed in their hearts eternity. People know that there's something that's going to come, whether they express it to you or not. He's put it there, and their desire for that is is definitely greater than their desire for this physical refreshments. Well, here's an interesting statistic here. About 96% of the world has access to Coca-Cola. 96%. In contrast, 30% of the world has virtually no exposure to the gospel whatsoever. And 20% of the world has no New Testament translation at all. None. That's quite a contrast. Something as temporal and physical as Coca-Cola and something as eternal and, and meets a spiritual need as living water that is freely given. But we need people to share. We need people to go. What should our response be to this? Should all of us pack up? You know, uh, move our families to another country? I've got a mortgage. I'm sure a lot of you do. I've got car payments, insurance. Is it easy to just pack up and take off? It's not. But our response should be to get involved. That's what the Lord is calling us to do here. Look around you. There are so many people that need to hear the truth of God's word. This living water that you don't have to toil over. It's it's not something that they have to work for. It's a fountain. It's, It's coming up automatically. And those of us who are believers and disciples, it's bubbling out of us. And people can partake freely of it if we just share it with them. We have... I think I counted six missionaries that were up here this morning. And our church supports many more. If you look at the back wall back there, there's a lot of them that aren't here with us today. Get involved in their lives. Find out what they need. Find out how you can be a spiritual support to them. Maybe your spiritual support is to help meet their physical need so that they can provide this spiritual News this living water to other people How many of you support missionaries financially You know that's not something we talk about a whole lot We support through the church And the church supports missionaries But i'm a firm believer that It really makes you get involved When you know where your your money's going to this Every month You know about it There's not a whole lot of people in orange county That don't know where their money's going We're so materialistic. You know, I've got it, I know exactly where this bill's going, this bill's going. And when it comes to this missionary that I support, man, that calls, that calls me to think about them and to pray for them. They need that spiritual support. I'm going to leave you with the missions statement, the mission statement that Coca-Cola has on their website. This is extremely interesting because when you look at it, you'd think man, if I changed a couple words this sounds like an evangelical mission statement. I think that we can do better. As a body of believers, I think that we can do better and that we can Get the message of living water to the world that doesn't have it yet and to the world that is so steeped in, in uh, lost religions like the Muslim religion, like, like Pakistan, who has virtually no exposure to the gospel whatsoever, and Afghanistan, no exposure, that we can do better. And we can refresh the world with what the world really needs. They really need living water. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your willingness to go to this woman of Samaria, to show your disciples that there was something beyond the Jews, the Jewish religion, that there were people that needed to hear your word, your living water. I pray that as we go from here, Lord, that we will be called to action, that we will get involved in the lives of the missionaries that we support here in this church, and that we will get involved in spreading your word, your living water, to those who have never heard. I pray these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen.